Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. With Christmas, how is your season going? Are you staying out of the crazies or is it getting to you? Not getting to you? Good. Anyone having a hard time? Be honest here. It's like, okay, okay. This morning we are continuing in our Advent series. We are entitling this Living in Anticipation this is part two, and it's entitled The Songs. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about Christmas carols, Bob Dylan, a memorial, the Widowmaker, and legacy. Right around, I don't know, now it seems like Halloween, they start putting up Christmas decorations, right? And all of a sudden, you start hearing those songs, the Christmas songs. How many of you like it when you start hearing Christmas songs? Can I get it? Okay. When you like the Christmas songs, the Christmas carols, how many of you would rather not have Christmas carols? Really? Just, okay. Ariel, I'm with you, girl. Um, I mean, I've grown used to them, and because I used to do music, I used to have to play them. But I'm not really a Christmas carol kind of guy. I mean, I'll hear a song like O Come, O Come Emmanuel was playing. And I know like the first line, O Come, O Come Emmanuel. But after that, I'm singing the Canada National Anthem or something, right? I don't know what's going on. I'm just like, I don't know something about God and Jesus, you know. But these songs become a part of the season and they've become a tradition, where we hear them in the stores. And I remember even when I was in high school, where I went to Glendora High School, and in between classes, instead of a bell, they used to play music. And it used to be, you know, uh, the Eagles and Led Zeppelin and all these bands I liked. But then Christmas, they'd play Christmas carols. And it was like, oh, that's cool, but I really kind of like Supertramp. But, you know, it's just something that is seasonal and is a part of that time. And it reminds us of where we're at. And remember, as we spoke about last week, we're, we're living in between Advents. We're living after the birth of Christ. And so all the things that we've read about, even what was, you know, portrayed in the, the little skit that we saw, we're living after these events take place. So, so we know so much of what's taken place, but we are still leaning into and longing for when God is going to make things right, when he's going to be bringing restoration to humanity. And so we're kind of caught in between this advent. We're we're living with anticipation 
thankful for what's happening, longing for what is still going to happen. And one of the things that has shaped the season is music. And music is not something that's just part of us and our culture. You don't get very far in scripture before you find music and poetry. You find it early on in Genesis, right after the creation, when Adam looks at Eve and he says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is poetry, right? Adam is speaking poetry to Eve. He's saying, I only have eyes for you. You'll get that later. She was the only one there, right? Okay. You weren't getting it, so I had to throw that out there, which ruins the whole thing, right? Next time I say it, it'll be funny. Trust me. Um, Next year, just hang on. Uh, and, And so poetry is a part of the story. Music is so much a part of scripture. It's filled with songs. And today we're going to be looking at Mary's song. And it's in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. You can follow along with me. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, I don't know how this song came about, right? It's called Mary's Song like this. She just, boom, I'm going into song and she just starts, you know, I imagine that this is something that was recorded and then later shared. But as we start hearing these words, we start finding out a lot more about what was taking place in Mary's mind at the time and how it's unfolding, right? As she starts talking about these things, she says, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. And so we see that there is already this almost political push in this. Those who are in charge, Rome specifically, but he has lifted up the humble who her, her people. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. And so we see this social class structure that was taking place and the struggle that was there. And Mary addresses it in her song. It's important to understand that because the birth of Christ is not just a a card that you give away. It is something that affected life, real life, real history. And we see it unfolding. We almost see a theology developing in this song. We, We see that. 
And we understand that this is something that took place. And it's always taken place, right? Every culture has its music. I mean, whether it be, you know, old style rock and roll, whether it be hip hop or rap, usually there's something social pushing this. I remember the first time I heard Bob Dylan's Blowing in the Wind. I think it was written in the early 60s. I was only a few years old at the time. But when I caught a glimpse of it, I was older. And I remember, wow, this, this song is kind of heavy. And it was heavy, so much so that it was sung at the March on Washington in 1963. Now, Bob Dylan didn't sing that song. He sang two other songs. And then Peter, Paul, and Mary sang Blowing in the Wind, which is his song, which I thought, that's kind of, you know, you guys sing my song, I guess. I don't know what the royalties are for that. But it was a a time where this song and his songs in particular represented a culture, something that was being addressed in this country. And so he would say, how many times can a man look up before he can see the sky? How many ears must one man have before he can hear people's cry? And he's like, oh, that still gets me. It still, it does something inside of me. There's something going on. This music is resonating what is being felt and it's expressing the voice of the culture and of the people. And Mary is doing the same thing here in this song. We see that there is an understanding of God in the middle of all this turmoil that she's talking about, the the struggle, the, the thrones being brought down and the humble being lifted up. She says, he has been mindful. He has done great things for me. He has performed mighty deeds. In other words, God is at work. God is doing something. We are not abandoned, even though we are in a low estate, even though this power is strong and mighty. He hasn't forgotten us. And these words are declaring what God is doing at that time. And remember, this song is looking forward to what God is doing, even as Christ is born. And then when we go to the songs in Revelation, we are standing at a place where John is looking and saying, this is how it's going to unfold. And we get to, in a sense, take a stance and look backwards at things. And John starts to declare things. He says, hallelujah. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride. I'm sorry, I skipped one. Well, this is the first one. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways. Kind to King of the nations, who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. He goes on and he says, towards the end of the book, hallelujah. Again, these are songs. They're being expressed, revealing what is happening within the people. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And now John is saying, look at this is 
the fulfillment of what was spoken. As Mary's song's longing to become, John's song is the fulfillment of what has taken place. And as John, throughout the book of Revelation that we recently went through, is talking about Babylon, he's talking about these systems that are in place that are in opposition to God, in opposition to all that Jesus was. And we look for the time when those who are weak will be cared for, when those who are marginalized will be seen and accepted because what happens to them, the least of these, Jesus says, is what happens to me. And this is our song. This is our story. We find ourselves living here in between in the middle of what God has done and longing for what God will do. We, we are living in a space of hope and of longing. And we all experience the struggle. We all go through the pain and the heartache and the hurts and the loss. Friday, I did a memorial for my daughter-in-law. Her, her dad died, as I shared last week. And so doing the memorial, it's a difficult time, right, for the family. They've just lost someone dear to them. She lost her father. She was very close to her father. And, and I remember I was sitting just as family and everyone was coming in before the ceremony was going to start, and they were having the viewing. And a song came on, and I recognized the song. It was a song that was played at her wedding to my son. That was the song that was for her and her dad. And as the song started, she went up to the front row and just started weeping. And my heart was breaking, right? I was just like, oh, God, this is just too much. The heartache is, is so hard. But it, it was something that she needed. And then a, a well-meaning lady who didn't really know her went to go and comfort her. And I almost felt like, no, don't, don't go there. Don't interrupt what's taking place here. This is holy. This, this is something she needs. She needs to be able to express the loss and the hurt. It's healing for her. It is necessary for her. We always want to interrupt these things. We want to stop the process because we just want to get past it. But you see, you can't numb the hurt without numbing the memory. And you don't want to numb the memory. You just want it to move from the place of hurting to a place where you can go on. But you never lose the hurt. It doesn't stop. As that song started playing, something happened in her. The memories, the emotions started to flood. And as she started to weep, it was a time of openness, rawness. And it is at those times where I think we think clearer than most times. It's at those kinds of memorial services or events that powerful things take place. If I were to ask you guys, what are the most life-shaping events that have happened in your life? 
I doubt you would say, well, you know, I went to Ross and they had a really good sale. And I got like five of these for like 10 bucks, right? You wouldn't say, well, I, I got this good deal or I bought this truck and oh man, my life was changed. Most of the life-shaping things have been difficult. They've been hard and they've hurt. And what happens is it's like a, a waking up to reality. It's those paddles that they, you know, rub together for some reason and then they say clear and then they jolt you back to life. Sometimes those events are like that. They, they jolt us and they make us aware of things that we had taken for granted. How precious life is, how fragile life is. And now there's a keen awareness, but it comes at a cost and it hurts. And it's going to reshape her. And, and it's going to forever change who she is. But it's going to help her to become who she needs to be. When I was about 12 years old, my friends and I, we lived in Hollywood, up in the Hollywood Hills. And there was a street called Belfast. It was a dead-end street, but it was a good-sized hill. And it would come down, and the street I lived on, Londonderry, would come into it. And then it would go around this blind curve. But it was a lot of fun to ride your bike down Belfast. And there was a bike that we had, that my friend had, Tony, that we called the Widowmaker. Even though none of us were married at 12 years old, we just called it the Widowmaker because we heard about it and it knew it sounded ominous. Now, the thing with the Widowmaker was it's like an old-style beach cruiser. It was a very heavy bike, and the wheels were huge, and it went really fast. But it didn't have any brakes. Okay, so we would take turns going down Belfast on the Widowmaker. I mean, we'd go on our other bikes too, but the Widowmaker was just faster and a lot more fun. But we weren't stupid. Well, we were, but we thought, well, we'll put a a lookout to let us know if a car's coming since we don't have brakes, right? So we had a lookout, and I remember coming down that hill It was my turn on the Widowmaker. And as I'm coming down that hill, my friend Eddie is over by the blind curve going like this. Great system, guys. We warned, right? But I'm on the bike with no brakes. Coming to the blind curve where a car is coming the other direction. And I had myself a moment, right? Oh, God. Is this how it's going to end? (laughs) I had so much in plan. And... My widow will be left behind, right? I mean, it's just like, here I'm going. And so all I could do is crash. And I didn't want to crash into the car. So I kind of went up the curb and I went into some bushes. And I don't remember a lot after that, but I remember I survived because I'm here, right? I tell you that story and you laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny then, right? I think I had to change my pants maybe. I don't know, but... It was one of those stories that moved from a place like, God, we are so stupid and lucky to be alive, to a place where, ha, 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 that was funny. It didn't start off that way. Oh, now we can talk about it and laugh about it. 
Why? Because it's become something different. It used to be this, and now it's this. You see, those memories for my daughter-in-law that are painful are going to one day become endearing. They're going to one day be memories that can actually make her smile, even though now they make her cry. And this time that we're living in is a time where, yes, it is working in us and it's difficult and it hurts, but it's moving us to a place where we can look back and say, hallelujah, look at what God has done. And what he was talking about doing, he has actually accomplished. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Can you feel the longing? Do you feel it pulling you to the hope that waits for us? Can you feel it changing you with anticipation for what God is doing and one day going to complete? But what's necessary now is the participation. You know, legacy is when you leave something to someone. Most of the time it's referring to material things. But there's a different kind of legacy that we get to be a part of. There's a legacy of character that starts to show up in our lives. It is the character that we see in Christ that now gets to be a part of our character that we get to then share with the world around us. And it's this legacy that we are a part of that is how God is changing the world. You see, the church is God's plan for the world. But I think we need to rethink church and see it as the legacy that it was meant to be the character of Christ in the people of Christ, doing the work of Christ, fulfilling the will of God and leaning into his intention for us and for humanity. And so as we live in this Advent, after what's happened, longing for what is going to happen We are part of the legacy of what God is doing. And the sense and the holy moments that change who we are to who we need to be are happening now. Or are supposed to be happening now. If we will allow them. And that's what we want to be part of. That's what we desire. And so when Christmas comes, this this season, 
and it becomes all about what are you going to get and, and what are we going to buy and, and what are we going to go party to and this be involved with. And it starts to take these places we need to reclaim that legacy. No, I need to be like Jesus. I need to care for the people he cared for. You know, it's so interesting when you think of the word holy. Usually we think of distant, right? Oh, God is holy. It means he's out there somewhere. And then God would say, you know, to Moses at the burning bush, take off your sandals for the ground that you're on is holy ground. Or the same thing with Joshua, you know, Joshua goes, hey, are you for us to the angel or for our adversary? And the angel or the angel says, no, I love that answer. No, don't work like that. Says, I'm commander of the Lord's army. Take off your shoes for the ground you're on is holy. Why is the ground holy? What, what, what's happening? And why does he have to take off his shoes? Could it be that God is wanting to remove anything that is between you and his holiness? You know, when Ben sent a picture Little Dylan's on Kristen's chest is just that feeling. And, and I remember when my kids were babies, and then just sitting on your chest and you just that closeness. Even now, I like getting my little grandson's feet and I just like holding them. It's like I need to touch that feet. They're just so cute. Because I just want to be close. Maybe holiness isn't distance. Maybe it's actually bringing close. Maybe the holy moments that we experience where God moves upon our heart and we respond in song or in life or in tears are holy moments where God is getting close and doing something in us that we can't fully see yet. It's like DNA. It shows up as time goes on. Look at that smile. That looks like dad's smile. Look at that nose. That's dad's nose. Look at that heart. That's Jesus's heart. That shows up in his kids. Because they take the shoes off and they get close to the holy. And that's the invitation this season. That's the invitation always. You're invited to get close. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that at this time and in this season, we would hear that voice telling us, take your shoes off. This ground is holy. It's not the school. It's not the place. Proximity. It is the relationship to you. That the ground was always holy. Moses just wasn't aware of it. Joshua just wasn't aware of it. We are not aware of it. That the moment was always holy. It just took an event to make us aware. And so I pray this morning that there would be an awakening, an awareness within our own hearts of your presence, your longing and desire 
that you are with us. That all the power and structures that present themselves in ways that hurt people, abuse the power, elevate themselves, Lord, will one day come to nothing. But as we stand in between what you've started and what will take place, Lord, may your will be done in us. May your character be seen in us. And may your story develop in us and change us. I do thank you for this time. I do pray right now, Lord, for Lauren, my daughter-in-law and her family and the hurt. I pray for those who are here this morning, even as the Christmas season reminds them of those, those that they have loved and lost, Lord. And there is a time of mourning over this season that seems to be strong. Lord, that pain is strong because those lives were strong in them. And the legacy of those people lives on. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to move them from a place of hurt to endearment, a place of brokenness to healing. And that your strength would be seen in us even as it was seen in Christ. Lord, I do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. May your lives write a song that is powerful and true. May you embrace the holiness that is all around you. May you take your shoes off and draw as near to God as he is wanting to draw near to you. May you change the world you live in by allowing God to change your heart. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.